Welcome, friends. David Cummings here. Welcome back to the cozy Christmas cottage. Feels like a long time since I made the trip up here. The snow on the ground outside is growing deeper. The wind is blowing the flakes around in fitful, swirling patterns. But I've drawn myself close to the winter fire, and I'm quite content to sit in its glow. Knowing you've joined me on this dark winter's night has warmed my heart. That and the delightful dram of single malt in my glass. This is our Christmas 2021 season past bonus episode. Think of it as an extra little gift in your stocking this year. Your support means the world to us. It's a gift you give us which we value more than we can properly express. So thank you, friends. This episode has been released on Christmas Eve. It's an occasion which has always been rather sentimental to me. Long gone are the days when I would be sleepless for other reasons, enraptured in anticipation of what delights awaited me on the following morn. In my advancing years, and especially during the past couple of years, this evening conjures a mix of seasonal cheer and melancholy. Embracing those closest to us and fondly remembering those who are absent. I've always felt Christmas is a holiday so well suited to our style of stories. If you allow yourself, you can find darkness in the season of light, fear in the midst of hope. And so, draw close to the fire, brace yourself and let our tales swirl in your minds and bring that hint of the macabre as you listen for the sound of footsteps on the roof above. They signal the arrival of a very sought-after person, someone we hope can be spotted very soon. And so, let's listen as he comes inside, the one we call the Christmas Visitor. Before Christmas, when he arrived, he approached the house in the normal way, just the way you'd expect. It was a sprawling brick structure with a great gabled roof and four massive dormers, all in complementing shades of browns and tans. It sat back from the street slightly, but he could see that it was just one in a sea of identical facades. Every house had perfectly manicured lawns, and their holiday decorations were all tasteful. There wasn't a blow-up elf, a plastic penguin, a nativity scene, or even a single colored light in sight. No, these homes were each decorated almost identically with evergreen garland and strings of white twinkling lights surrounding the porch. Every porch light glimmered, casting a glittering sheen on the dusting of snow covering every surface. The street lights matched the glow of the porch lights, and he had to smirk at the sight. Neighborhoods like this were built to be a show of wealth. 
He left his vehicle and broached the house through the front door, pulling his jolly red coat tighter around himself. He thought about how one would expect him to enter through the chimney and chuckled. That was impossible, even before remembering that these fancy new homes had exclusively electric fireplaces, and that the chimneys here were purely for aesthetic purposes fully closed off from the elements and not actually functioning as a chimney should. He spent silent seconds working some magic on the lock, and then he was in. He closed the door behind himself and paused for a moment, letting the heat from a nearby vent thaw out his chilled bones. Of course, his ride didn't have heat. The snow on his black boots melted quickly all over the doormat, leaving a sludgy mess under his feet. While he waited for the feeling to re-enter his hands, he took in the sight before him. He'd entered into a grand foyer with a sweeping staircase that trailed the rounded wall up to the second floor, which was probably home to a library, office, theater, and game room. Its railings were lavish wrought iron and looped in a swirling pattern that would make him dizzy if he studied it too long. Through an archway opposite the stairs, he could see it, the family room, Christmas headquarters. The tree was enormous, towering at least twelve feet high. Of course it was artificial, but from his vantage point he could count at least ten candles and wax warmers around the room to give the illusion of a real tree, at least in fragrance. A five-pointed gold star was perched at its top with strings of white lights, sparkling gold ribbons, and obnoxious white and gold ornaments twirling down around it, covering almost every inch of branches, until the tree itself was barely visible under all the decor. Underneath it, and perfectly arranged, were dozens of gifts for the coming morning's festivities. Beside the tree, the mantle's decoration was even more evergreen garland and white lights behind heavy gold hangers that held the oversized stockings that were still, of course, empty. He saw the edges of photo frames jutting from behind the garland, but paid them no mind, for he had little time to waste. He approached the mantle tentatively, taking every step slowly to be sure that he didn't disturb their slumber. That would ruin everything. As he got closer, he saw the gilded plate that was covered in at least a dozen cookies, each one larger than his hand. There was chunky chocolate chip and gooey oatmeal raisin, cinnamon and sugar dusted snickerdoodle, and his favorite, white chocolate macadamia nut. He picked up the cookie, taking a few small bites before putting it back on the plate, a crumb caught in his throat and he almost coughed before remembering his surroundings. He snatched up the crystal chalice that stood beside the plate and gulped down the milk. It worked flawlessly, both quenching his thirst and clearing his throat of remaining cookie pieces. After taking in the gaudy magnificence of this Christmas display one more time, he turned and made his way down the hallway, which was dark save for the glow of a tiny nightlight midway down its length. He paused at the first open door he came to, peering cautiously around its frame and noting that this was the primary bedroom. The focal point of the room was the mahogany king-sized bed, overloaded with layer upon layer of cool sheets, cozy fleece blankets, and thick feather down. 
The parents' heads rested cozily on a pile of at least ten pillows of varying shapes and sizes. The mother let out a sudden loud snore that startled the holiday visitor, but she turned her head and returned to gentle slumber quickly. He waited, making sure that her breath remained even and slow with sleep before proceeding down the hall to the next open doorway, a child's bedroom. The room was painted blue, with both bedding and curtains covered in cartoon images of a favored superhero. Model airplanes hung from the ceiling with fishing wire gradually swooped down over a small play table littered with action figures. This room wasn't as tidy as the rest of the house, but the reason for that was curled on its side on the bottom half of a bunk bed. The boy was no more than four years old and had loose blonde curls that framed a chubby, cherubic face. He entered the room and sat at the middle of the boy's bed. The movement was enough to wake the boy who blinked his eyes slowly until they focused on the visitor. He let out an audible gasp and the man placed his white-gloved finger to his lips. The boy knew him, of course. The signature suit gave away his identity plainly enough, as did the hat. Every child in the world knew that hat. Santa, the boy whispered, barely a breath. The man winked, extending one hand out to the boy while making a come-along gesture with the other. The boy's excitement was palpable. Not only was he meeting the man himself, but he was being invited to follow him to Christmas Central down the hallway. He enthusiastically took the man's hand while springing out of bed. The man tiptoed and the child followed suit, still grasping the man's hand for dear life. They passed through the family room and the child's eyes grew wide and expectant, ready to be the first to view the spoils of the year's good behavior. They darkened only slightly, more out of confusion than any fear or nervousness, when he noticed that there was nothing new under the tree. He had, of course, been counting for a month. But that had to mean that he was going to help with the gifts. He knew, after all, that he could trust this man. His parents had taken him to sit in the man's lap every year since he'd been born, and he could see the pictures peeking out from behind the garland on the mantle to prove it. This man wasn't a stranger. It was him. The man quietly opened the front door, pressing his finger to his lips once more to be sure that the child remained quiet. The child nodded up at him happily. His grasp on the child's hand tightened as they made their way over the snow-covered lawn and up to the back door of the Ford Econoline that had once been white but was so covered in dents and scratches that it was more of a grayish silver. The child started to pull away. This wasn't a sleigh, but the man was faster and much stronger. The child was in the back of the van and the door slammed shut before he could even think to cry out. The man crawled into the driver's seat and pulled off the hat and the costume beard as the child began to cry. Thank you.
the unmistakable voice of Peter Lewis, reading a tale by author A.E. Purvis. Definitely not the kind of surprise one wants to wake up to on Christmas morning. Ah, but we never promised you a silent night, did we? Perhaps a story like that makes you feel a little better if you find yourself unable to travel home for the holidays. When you have to try to cobble together some Christmas cheer on your own, there are many ways to do that. But it would make the most sense to heed the warnings given to you when you decide to watch some old holiday specials. So stick to streaming services instead of doing what this man tells us. After he says, I bought a hard drive full of Christmas movies. Download name, christmasmovies.zip. Upload date, December 24th, 2021. Description. Warning. Do not download these video files, and for the love of God, do not watch them. I've gone back and forth over whether to share this. Won't it make you want to watch even more? A good story can spread around the internet like a virus. It's why internet legends are so popular. But putting these videos into the world without an explicit warning feels unconscionable. If you read this and don't listen, that's on you. I'll tell you what happened, and then I'm washing my hands of it. Two weeks ago, I bought a used external hard drive off Facebook Marketplace. The guy who sold it to me said he found it in his spare room and assumed the previous tenants had left it behind. It contained only one folder, labeled Christmas movies. It held pretty much every holiday movie I could think of that was older than 10 years or so, including all my favorites. This was a score as far as I was concerned. Both myself and my girlfriend Kate were feeling homesick, since neither of us could afford to fly home. Kate was taking it the hardest. We were excited to spend the holidays together, but she'd never been away from her family on Christmas before. So I did what any caring boyfriend would do. I surprised her with a Christmas movie marathon when she got home from work that night. I made hot chocolate, decorated the living room, the works. She loved it. We made it through two movies and had just started a Christmas story before I began to fall asleep. Kate was lying on my chest and we were all tangled up in the blankets. As my eyes closed, I thought about how perfect the moment was. One that I hoped I would remember forever. When I opened them again, Kate was gone. Using the bathroom, I figured. Judging by the claymation winterscape on the screen, the next movie in the queue, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, had started. Rudolph entered the shot. He walked through the snow, alone. I waited for something to happen, but he just continued to walk. His little hooves left a trail of perfectly circular prints behind him. The scene dragged on so long that I started to feel uneasy. I tried to place the sequence in my memory of the TV special, but couldn't. Had this scene been cut from the movie? Or maybe it was a glitch in the file causing the footage to loop? I thought about hitting pause, but Rudolph walking endlessly through the snow was hypnotic. My eyelids grew heavy. I was about to nod off when Rudolph spoke. Huh. The loop must have ended, I thought. I opened my eyes to slits, still curious to see where the strange scene had connected to. Would he be meeting up with Yukon Cornelius? Or was he about to rendezvous with Clarice? Rudolph had stopped walking. 
He faced the screen as though looking out at me. Hello, John. His voice was different from the one I remembered, though still nasally, like someone doing an impression. For the first time, I noticed that his eyes were entirely black. Was that normal? I couldn't recall. In the back of my mind, I knew that Rudolph saying my name should freak me out, but I assumed I was dreaming. I felt almost sedated, like the hot cocoa had been laced with something to keep me calm and compliant. That was crazy, though, because I'd made it myself. I know you're feeling lonely, John. His head turned to the side, so he could see me better with a single dark eye. Rudolph was not only talking to me, but he was looking at me, right through the television. I smiled, imagining telling Kate this crazy dream. That's something I can understand. You're missing home, missing your family. No one should be alone on Christmas. I'm not alone. I'm with Kate. We're going to spend Christmas together. And isn't it nice to spend it together? What if I told you that every day can be Christmas and that you and Kate can spend it together forever with the family that loves you and cares about you? He turned his head again so he was looking at me straight on. Remember how Christmas used to feel? And suddenly I was five again, sitting in front of the television in my childhood home watching Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I knew that my mom and grandma were in the kitchen baking, and that my younger brother was covertly inspecting the presents beneath the tree. I kept my gaze trained squarely on the television, knowing that if I turned my head even an inch, the spell would be broken. Tears slid down my cheeks. This is what I had been missing. For weeks I'd felt hollow, knowing I should be happy to see the lights on the houses and hear the familiar carols on the radio. But Christmas had felt different since I'd left home. If I was being honest with myself, it hadn't felt the same for a long time. When had it started to change? When I stopped believing in Santa Claus? When my grandma died? This was why I'd put the Christmas movies on in the first place. Heck, it was why I rewatched the same ones year after year. I was chasing this feeling of warmth. The feeling that someone more capable than myself was watching out for me. Rudolph turned his head again. Would you like to feel this way all the time? Yes. I would have done anything for that feeling to continue. But what about Kate? She's already here. She came first, and she can't wait for you to join her. But where is she? I'll take you to her. She'll be so disappointed if you don't come. His voice changed as he said the last sentence, becoming slightly menacing. The good feelings began to dissipate. I no longer felt my mother's and grandmother's presences behind me, only my apartment. I wanted it back. I was an addict chasing a high. Wait, I'll come with you. Oh, John, I'm so glad. Kate will be glad too. What do I have to do? It's easy. Just take my hand. He stepped forward, taking up more and more of the screen, until he wasn't in the screen anymore. His body was still in the winterscape, but his head was in the living room. It was larger, too. So large that his nubby antlers barely cleared the top of the screen. His nose blinked red, growing bigger and bigger as it approached. One of his hooves followed, extending towards me. I stood, the blanket falling off my body. All I had to do was take his hoof, and I would be enfolded in that good Christmas feeling forever. I almost tripped over the coffee table in my eagerness. I felt like a small child lost in a mall who had finally found his mother. When my hand closed around the hoof, it felt soft and malleable. 
It buzzed with electricity. Maybe from his nose? That's it, John. He started to retract into the screen, pulling me with him. I was stuck to him like a piece of metal to a magnet. I don't think I could have pulled away if I'd wanted to. But I didn't want to. John? Kate's voice rang from behind me, the sharp, worried tone jerking me out of the reverie I'd fallen into. I glanced back at her, and when I turned back to the screen, he was gone. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer was playing on the television. Rudolph was talking to his friends and not to me. None of it had been real. A feeling of loss swept over me. Babe, is everything okay? I just had the strangest dream. I guess I was sleepwalking. Sounds like you've had enough of Christmas movies for one day. She walked over to me and laced her arms around my waist, kissing me on the lips. Thanks for tonight. It was perfect. She rested her head on my shoulder, and we stood like that for several moments, haloed by the Christmas lights. This is Christmas. Just as much as Mom and Grandma baking, I thought. I glanced up at the screen, and for a moment it looked like Rudolph was watching me. But then he turned his head and began speaking to Hermie, the little elf who just wants to be a dentist. The dream must have really gotten to me, I assumed. Rudolph was just pixels on a screen. I awoke before sunrise the following morning. Kate's side of the bed was empty. She rarely rose before eight if she had a choice, so this was strange. I listened to the sounds from the hallway, expecting to hear the toilet flush. Instead, I heard a familiar, nasally voice coming from the living room. Rudolph? I sat up in bed, all the sleepiness gone. I tried to relax. She'd probably been unable to sleep and went out to finish the movie. But after the dream I'd had the previous night, there was no way I was going to fall back asleep until I knew for sure. I hopped out of bed and padded into the hallway. Babe? She didn't answer. Light from the television flickered against the hallway wall with the frenetic timing of a strobe light. The air buzzed, reminding me of the electric feeling I'd gotten when I'd touched Rudolph's leg. I rounded the corner and froze. Kate faced the television, her head and shoulders outlined by its glow. Rudolph's head and hoof protruded through the screen and into the living room. Kate was gripping the hoof, about to follow him into the screen. So it had been real. For a moment I felt jealous. Kate was going to live forever in that good Christmas feeling. But then Rudolph met my gaze over her shoulder. His eyes were like tar pits. He smiled at me, revealing two rows of sharp teeth. All desire to go with him was gone, replaced by panic. He had Kate. I yelled her name, thinking that if I could just get her to look at me, the spell would be broken like it had the previous night. To my relief, she began to turn in my direction, but before we could make eye contact, Rudolph pulled back into the television taking Kate with him. White light burst from the screen, blinding me. After a few moments, the living room faded back in. Kate was gone. The television was still playing. Rudolph had been replaced by the opening sequence to Will Ferrell's Elf. I ran to the bedroom. Kate wasn't there either. I yanked open the closet, thinking she might be inside. My side was the same, but her side... Well, there was no her side. It was just more of my stuff. All her things had disappeared. My mind cycled through the possibilities, starting with the most mundane. I was still hoping that what I'd seen had been a nightmare. Had she left? But why? We were happy. And why take the time to spread my stuff throughout the closet? It wasn't like her to play mind games like that. I found more anomalies as I searched the apartment. Her shampoo and body wash were gone from the shower. 
The bathroom counter, usually strewn with makeup, now only held my razor and deodorant. Boxes of herbal teas had disappeared from the cupboard in the kitchen. Even her flip-flops, which she kicked off her feet whenever we watched television, were missing from their usual spot on the floor in front of the couch. All traces of her were gone. I tried to call her cell but got a recorded message that said the phone number was not in use. When I tried to pull up her Instagram, which she posted to religiously, her username returned no search results. I even called her mother as a last resort. I didn't want to alarm her, but I was desperate. She told me she'd never had a daughter named Kate and asked me not to call there again. Finally, I had to admit the truth. Kate was gone. More than gone. She'd been erased. I sank down into the couch, staring listlessly at Elf. Kate had said it was one of her favorites. It had played in the background while I searched the apartment, and now was at the part where Zoe Deschanel's character leads a sing-along in Central Park. I blinked away tears as I watched, but then something in the background caught my eye. I rushed towards the television, gripping both sides of it with my hands, nearly pulling it off the rickety table it was perched on. Kate was there, standing on the edge of the crowd. She was one of the first people to start singing. I clambered to rewind. It was her. I could tell by the distinctive pattern of freckles on her cheek. I lost count of how many times I rewatched that scene. I couldn't believe the love of my life was inside a movie. I know what you're thinking. If this isn't some elaborate creepypasta, then I must be crazy, right? I thought so too. That's why I bought Elf on Amazon Prime. I keyed up both versions, playing the original on my laptop and Rudolph's version on the television. I held my breath as Zoe Deschanel began to sing, watching the spot in the crowd where I knew Kate would be. She wasn't there in the original. I am not crazy. As I watched the footage, I realized something else. There were others. In almost every scene, people appeared in Rudolph's version who weren't in the original. These were faces I came to recognize in the coming days. I pulled out a notebook and began logging every anomaly. When I'd finished watching Elf, which took several hours due to constantly stopping and rewinding, I let the next movie start playing, and the next one after that. They were in every movie. They sat in the pews of the church in Home Alone, and were standing in line to see Santa Claus in A Christmas Story. I began to refer to them with code names. Unibrow, Silver Hair, Fedora, Peacoat. You'd think all these movies were created by a single studio that used the same background actors in every production except they were filmed years, even decades apart. Only one thing made sense. These were other people that Rudolph had erased. It took over a week to watch all the movies. Every so often, when looking up from my notes, I'd see one of the main characters staring at me. And for a moment, their eyes appeared black. They'd look away so quickly that I would second-guess myself, but it happened so often that I don't think I was seeing things. Rudolph was watching me. I knew what I was going to do long before I finished all the movies. I allowed the credits of the last movie to play through, and then opened the only movie I hadn't watched yet. Rudolph faded into view, the claymation forest slightly out of focus behind him. Hello, John? He did that thing where he turned his head to the side. I wasn't sure I would see you again after you abandoned me. What can I do for you? I said the words in a rush, afraid I'd lose my nerve. I want to join you. Hmm. I don't think I can help you, John. I offered you everything, and you turned away from me. That hurt. I'm already so very lonely. How could I trust you again? 
You can trust me. I just want to be with Kate. And you. Saying the last two words was like swallowing something foul. But I knew I had to stroke his ego or I'd never see her again. He paused, considering my request. I could give you an opportunity to make amends, John. I'll do anything. Rudolph turned his head the opposite way. Excellent. I will allow you to join Kate if you upload me to the internet. Upload you? Why? Rudolph hung his head. I'm so happy to have met Kate, but it likely will be years before I meet someone new. We get so very lonely in here. If you upload me, we'll make new friends to share Christmas with every day. We'll never be lonely again. What do you say, John? Surrendering myself to Rudolph was one thing. Unleashing him on unsuspecting people was another. I... I have to think about it. I understand, John. I'll be here when you're ready. The screen went black. Tonight's Christmas Eve. I've watched the movies again and again, my eyes glued to Kate every time she appears on screen. Those he has taken may look happy, but I'm not fooled. This happiness is like candy. Delicious and irresistible, but without substance. But I can't live without her. We can make something beautiful out of it together. Like that perfect moment we had on the couch. I've made my decision. For your own sake, do not watch these movies. If you choose to ignore my warning, then it's on you. We can only hope author H.H. Duke is alright after penning that tale. Just like we offer our well wishes to Kyle Akers, Ellie Hirschman, and Wafia White for performing that tale. That's why we always recommend sticking to audio fiction instead of those far too dangerous video files. Now, we've already presented you with reasons to fear old Saint Nick and the beloved Christmas characters of song and story. Is there anything else we can do to damage the holiday traditions? No. No, there isn't. That's why I want you to hear about a man who commits his time during the holidays to bring joy to children as a mall Santa. He's a good man. He's not going to harm anyone. But, as is true at any time of the year, it's those dreaded children you have to be wary of. Especially one who might just end up dancing through your nightmares, as you would expect from someone named Sugar Plum. For my money, you can't beat the Santa down at the Pioneer. He's rosy-cheeked and jolly, has a genuine rapport with the kids, even remembered my Janie's name after a whole year. 
the beard suits him, too. Five stars. Yep. Even the mall Santa gets yelped in this day and age. At the Pioneer Center was a two-acre park with the most splendid fountain. It shot jets of water high into the sky and timed with pre-programmed classics and modern top 40s. There was a bright red trolley that circled the property every half hour, ringing a loud old brass bell that signaled to the delighted shoppers it was on its way. The conductors were two older gentlemen in three-piece uniforms, handing out suckers to the parents and kids eager to ride the semicircle. Didn't take much more than a giant fir tree, a little artificial snow, some green garlands, and a few lights strung from the tallest of the shops to the center of the plaza like a giant maypole to make the whole thing just scream SoCal Yuletide. So, that's where I was this last Black Friday, the first day out on the plaza. People were emerging from their trip to Fan Stupor to wander around the retail wonderland. And Aubrey was back that year as Cranberry the Merriest Elf to fill in the gaps in her own liquid assets from makeup gigs. She must have brought me well over 300 kids by noon. For the first two or three hours, I could probably tell you the name of every kid that came through and exactly what they wanted. Olivia from Alhambra needed hatchy babies. Jacob from Rosemead had been good the whole year just so he could have an air hog. Sophia from Sunland had gotten straight A's and had earned the Wonderlab. Her parents had been pretty proud. Then, like it always does, the day started to drag. The differences in age, build, race, all seemed to meld until they were the amorphous, interchangeable inhabitants of Christmas land. Every man wore an ugly and ironically intended sweater. Every woman held a gingerbread latte. And every child claimed to have been a perfect angel all year long. My eyes had started to glaze over by the time Aubrey said, Santa, you have a visitor. And there, standing in front of me, was a tiny ginger-haired girl with the largest eyes I have ever seen. Have you ever seen a photo where one person is clearly meant to be the center of the thing? It's obvious that they're the whole reason the picture was taken in the first place. Everything else in it is just the visual equivalent of background noise. Now, imagine that in real life and in real time. That's what this kid was like. She was dressed in what could only be described as a fairy princess gown, complete with purple wings and a bubbling excitement practically exploding out of her gap-toothed grin. I think I learned her name at some point, but at that moment and forever after, when I thought of her, I called her Sugar Plum in my head. The parents were ordinary by California standards. Both had the physique of folks that spent a reasonable amount of time in the gym, but there was a a pale sallowness to their complexions, and neither of them looked like they'd had a good night's rest in quite a while. They smiled as their little one approached me, but did it with the enthusiasm of someone trying to put a brave face on a stomach ulcer. When Phil, our camera elf, gestured that it was her turn, the little girl moved with such speed that I swore I didn't even see her feet touch the ground. She landed in my lap, knees first, with a hearty thump. I stifled a groan. Ho, 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 Well, what do you want for Christmas this year? Her head cocked to the side like a dog hearing an unfamiliar noise in the distance. Then she leaned in and whispered in my ear. Are you really Santa? I mean, THE Santa? That question came up all the time. There is always at least one kid in every class who starts it, because either they'd worked it out themselves, 
or had an older sibling that couldn't wait to spoil their fun, or just had parents that had decided that any deception would be harmful to their child's development. The ones that carried around that little nugget of knowledge on the tip of their tongues couldn't wait to tell anyone that would listen. I suspected that this little kid, who was clearly a big fan of the holiday, had such a classmate. Well, who else would I be? <laughs> I let loose with a ho-ho-ho that came all the way from the soles of my boots. Her tiny face screwed up into a profound contemplation. She tapped her finger against her lips like a tiny chief inspector. Then you should know what I want. Hmm. What was it your letter said again? Was it, uh, Rizmo? Her face dropped with disappointment. But before it could set in, I said, No, 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 no. That's Adriana in Reseda. Oh, silly Santa. <laughs> hmm. Were you the one asking for a switch? She shook her head slowly. No, I have one already. My gaze shifted over to the parents. They were alternating between a furious miming of something that looked like driving a truck and pointing out towards the plaza with the resolve of a wilderness scout indicating the way home. The weariness I could see painted around their eyes and to their movements, the way they seemed to slouch against each other. The season, less than 24 hours old, was already wearing them down. Oh, oh, oh. Well, of course you do, my dear. I hope I haven't forgotten. Hmm. I padded along my costume as though the answer might be right there. The trolley rounded the corner on its quarter-hour route and let out a calliope toot. Arthur, the conductor, wrapped the clapper inside his great brass bell. The little fairy's eyes lit up with an awed fire, her mouth forming a perfect little O. Wait, 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 wait. Mm. Her head whipped round back to me, and she stared at me with anticipation. Oh, are you the one who wanted a train? <gasps> she let out a little gasp, and her tiny hand slapped to either side of my face. With a countenance as grim and solemn as a hanging judge, she pulled herself towards me and whispered, Am I on the naughty list? I was surprised, not only by the urgency of her demeanor, but because this had never come up before in three years wearing the suit. I looked to mom and dad, but they mimed back, yes, cranking their heads into emphatic theatrical nods like headbangers at an Ozfest. I felt the tickle of a laugh at the sight, thought they were making a joke, but something in their expression suggested that they were as serious as a heart attack. I felt an immediate pang of disgust for those people. And looking at their daughter's adorable, hopeful face, I just couldn't tell her that. Oh, no, sweetie, you're not. It's actually pretty tough for anyone to get on that list. Folks, her face split into the biggest smile I'd seen that or any year. <laughs> she squealed with delight and called over her shoulder. Great news, kiddo. Her father immediately dropped his gaze down to the boat shoes he was wearing. This is going to be the best Christmas 
ever. She leapt off me and dashed back to her parents. See you soon, Santa. She seized their hands and pulled her mom and dad away from the scene. And the rest of the line proceeded without significant incident. Noah from La Canada wanted Marshall's ultimate rescue fire truck. Emma from Pasadena wanted a Pokemon plush toy. Liam from Altadena wanted a Harry Potter Lego Quidditch set. And the customer slowly blurred back into a faceless mass of holiday hustle and bustle. Then Aubrey was tapping on my shoulder as Phil set up the sign that told the crowd I was off feeding the reindeer. Break time. A moment later, my stomach grumbled loudly in agreement. I hurried back and made my way to the break room, doffing my Santa cap and feeling several rivulets of sweat course down my face and into my eyes. It was a rectangular room with none of the grandeur on display outside there, just the cheapest kind of linoleum floor and halogen tube lights providing a dim glow overhead. Just a single sink, microwave, and a vending machine with more than a few treats I swore had been discontinued back in the aughts. I reached up into the cupboards above the sink, and there, carefully hidden behind someone's gallon Ziploc bag of ground coffee, was my bag of corn chips. I tore it open and made to stuff a few handfuls into my face when a stern voice came from behind me. What are you doing? In a moment of panic, I snatched my hat off the table and placed it back on my head, feeling like a teenager caught with their pants down. I turned, quickly pulling myself to my feet and preparing an apology for the manager that had caught me out of uniform. Instead of a recent business school grad making her bones, there stood Sugar Plum. Her hands were on her hips, and her foot, clad in a well-worn ballet flat, tapped the ground as she impatiently waited for an answer. Why, Santa is just getting himself a little snack. I shook my padded belly for emphasis. Say, what are you doing back here, and where are your parents, little one? Her Royal Highness didn't seem inclined to answer my question, nor did she look satisfied with my explanation. A single, perfect eyebrow stretched up her face towards her plastic tiara. Santa eats cookies. She nodded in agreement with herself. I felt a flash of embarrassment. Well, that's true most of the time, but... Santa only eats cookies and drinks cocoa. She added a small stamp of her foot to punctuate the matter. Then, without another word, spun and went skipping down the hallway and out of my sight. Hey, kid, uh, uh, little girl... I stuck my head out and saw that the corridor's entrance was wide open, letting in the blinding sunlight from outside. It slammed shut and my eyes took a minute to adjust to my newly dim surroundings. Just as they did, the door suddenly banged open again. A tall, adult silhouette standing within the frame. Santa! Dancer and Prancer probably had enough by now. Ho, 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 ho! I'll be right there, um, Cranberry! I blindly reached into my snack bag, my eyes still looking up and down the hallway like my little sugar plum might appear, and shoveled a final handful into my mouth. I crunched for a few seconds before it filtered through my brain that there was something off. The chips were sweet. I looked down and in my hand, 
instead of the dollar store brand corn chips I had brought with me, was a brightly colored sleeve of heavily frosted sugar cookies. The rest of the shift passed without anything more than the usual incidents. A few kids deciding in the moment that, no, in fact, they didn't want to sit on a total stranger's lap and instead burst into tears. The rest were all requests for new cell phones or PlayStations. Fast forward a bit, and I was just coming out of the locker room when Aubrey walked by in her street clothes. Hey, Eddie. We're going to the beachhead. You want to come? I think I'll pass tonight. Thanks. Five dollar paps pictures. She waggled her eyebrows like a cartoon fox with a devious plan. The words, Santa only drinks cocoa, chimed in my head and I told my young friend I'd see her tomorrow. A minute later, I was striding down the promenade on my way to the bus stop. I was mentally trying to recall the number of stops while simultaneously trying to recall if I'd done the shopping now, when someone tapped me on the shoulder. Excuse me, sir. It was Sugar Plum's dad, standing there with his arms hanging limply by his sides. Maybe it's drugs, I thought. It would certainly go a long way to explaining his behavior. What can I do for you? They're having a get-together for her class in a few weeks. The whole class. They're all coming. Um, do you do private parties? Given his earlier attempt at getting me to slide his little one onto the list, I was immediately filled with questions. But... The amount of money he so casually stated he was willing to pay immediately emptied my head of all of them. Now, by rights and the contract I signed with the Pioneer, I am not, strictly speaking, allowed to moonlight. But what he was offering would be worth a year of playing the jolly old elf. We chatted quietly for a few moments more, exchanging details, and I, after looking around to see if anyone was watching, slipped one of my business cards out from my wallet and into his hand. He sounded my name out slowly. Edmund Chapman. Then he looked up, something jogging his memory. Do you think you'd be able to get the elves to come too? Without waiting for me to answer, he added, We'll pay them too, of course. And we'll really, really need you to... Daddy! Sugarplum's voice cut through the din of the crowd. The man's eyes went wide and he looked me up and down, taking in my civilian attire. She can't see you like this. It'd ruin everything. Ah, right. Okay, I'll go this way. I pointed over my shoulder to Main Street. And you got my number. Just call me anytime and fill me in. Perfect. Perfect. He scampered away, disappearing into the shifting crowd of shoppers. On the bus ride home, I went back and forth with myself debating if I could trust Aubrey and Phil with this gig. I was a bit older than them, and I felt comfortable calling them good kids, but I knew they could use the money too, but potentially losing the Pioneer gig if anyone found out, well, that would put me and them in a bad way. But if I'm honest, it was more than that. When I got home, I plopped myself down at the kitchen table, a box of my own cookies in hand, and opened up my creaky old laptop. Phrases like, best in L.A. County, and made Jamie's whole holiday, fed my ego in between my nibbling Nilla wafers. My kiddo said, and I quote, 
All that being good was worth it when Santa told her she'd get that puppy she wanted, and I really appreciated the quick look he gave me to double-check before saying yes. When she threw her arms around his neck and said, Oh, thank you, Santa, well, my heart was full. See, I'd come out to L.A. to make it as an actor. Ten, oh God, fifteen years ago. I can dance, and I can carry a tune well enough to get by, should you ever need an Henry Higgins. But my biggest credits were as man number three in crowd shots, where the bodies of joggers were discovered on shows like NCIS and SVU. So, that was the best review I'd gotten in a long time. And I cherished it. Yeah, losing the money would hurt. But when any of those kids pictured Santa for the rest of their lives... It would be me they thought of. I just couldn't risk losing that. I closed the bedroom door behind me, and before I could switch on a light, my phone rang in my pocket. I didn't recognize the number and tossed the phone onto my nightstand. I was exhausted, ready for bed. It was only as I drifted off to sleep, that point from which there was no going back, that I realized it might have been the family from the Pioneer. Just as well, I thought. I'd all but decided to pass on the party. I was awoken early the next day by a polite rap at my door. A single rhythmic burst of rat-a-tat-tat, and then silence. A moment later, an intake of breath and no more, and it came again. Pulling myself up from where I'd fallen onto the bed, felt like I was trying to bench press a truck off my chest dragged myself to the door and looked into the peephole. In the fisheye lens, I saw Aubrey, still in her costume and makeup. I panicked, momentarily thinking I was late for work, but the microwave's clock showed clearly that it was still only 7 a.m. I pressed my eye back to the hole and noticed for the first time that her smile had a manic, unhinged quality. As I watched her, I was taken by surprise as her balled-up fist flashed out to the door to pound against it. Her toothy leer didn't waver a millimeter. Hello? She spoke in a bright voice that had more in common with silver chimes than her normal husky rasp. I didn't answer. Some basic part of me screaming out alarms and was rewarded with another series of knocks with greater force and urgency behind them. Hello? I backed away and watched as the door rattled in its frame. Suddenly, there was a dull but oh-so-loud crack. And with dawning horror, I realized it wasn't the wood of the door giving under the assault, but the bones in Aubrey's hand. I threw the door open. I don't know if it was bravery or just concern for this woman that I considered a friend that spurred me onto action, but with the obstruction removed, she immediately hopped over the threshold with a jaunty little step. Her features locked onto that expression of impossible delight. I watched as her fist, still held up at eye level, unclenched, and then swept down to her green felt coat, plucking an item out of her pocket. My stomach did a flip-flop, expecting to see the dull sheen of a pocket knife or a pistol. But instead, I was greeted with the sight of an old claw hammer. I held out my hands toward her, palms up. Aubrey! Her face wrinkled ever so slightly before the joyful expression she had entered with swept back over it. She raised the hammer to eye level, 
and started striding towards me with the sense of purpose you associate with a, a drill sergeant about to tear his trainees a new one. I brought my arms into a rough defensive X in front of my body, bracing for the sharp crack of that hammer against tissue and bone. But she strode right past me into the tiny area that passed for my kitchen. The hammer fell, and before I knew it, she destroyed my toaster. With a few expert blows, she had the housing split in two, the mechanism and wires sprayed across my counter, and she scooped them up for examination. Her head snapped towards me. I'll have this ready for you in a jiffy, Santa. Choo-choo! I locked myself in the bathroom and paced back and forth in the cramped space. Listened to my friend dismantling my appliances, and loudly singing an endless loop of Here Comes Santa Claus, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus. The police arrived, and after a brief struggle, knocked on the door to let me know it was safe. The toaster, my TV, and most impressively, the refrigerator door she'd torn off its hinges had been shoved together in an odd combination with duct tape and nails that she must have brought with her. The point and purpose of these art projects was anyone's guess. Does your friend have a history of mental illness? The officer was bagging an item that could have been a fidget spinner fashioned from my coasters and kitchen knives? I... I don't know. He stared at me, clearly wanting a more satisfying answer. We work at the mall. I gestured at my beard. You know, seasonal help. Well, they left and I found myself alone, my mind refusing to be still. There was a bottle of whiskey a friend of mine sent me a while ago, his note stating that he intended for me to celebrate my next big booking with it. It had grown a fine layer of dust in its time with me, but that night seemed as good as any to sample some. I cracked open the cap, the plastic tines giving way with that gratifying pop. Taking my seat at the kitchen table, I took a long, slow pull. The burn of the liquor radiated down my throat and the lingering aftertaste tickled my palate. I took it away from my lips and let out a deep sigh, fancying that I could feel my pulse already slowing down. It was sometime after a midnight when I stirred awake, just enough to glance out the single window in my living room just conscious enough to process the dark shapes that fell past my window and catch the musky, earthy funk as the terrified things sailed down to the street below. Three of the hairy beasts had come and gone by the time I got myself out of bed, another two before I got over to the window to look down. There was a choir of shattering bones and meaty thumps. The single reindeer still alive locked eyes with me as it struggled to pull itself out of the mass of its kin, attempting to command ruined limbs as it huffed and brayed into the night. Three more smacked into the pile, dying immediately and ending the poor thing's suffering. The shock of this had worn off enough that I realized I somehow had my phone in my hand and I was dialing 911. Animal control, right? I mean, this had to be one for animal control. As my call went through, a blinding red flash filled the glass in front of my eyes, followed shortly thereafter by terrified groans dopplering down to the road below. What is your emergency? I blinked, 
My eyes were full of blinding red spots. And as they faded, my attention was drawn to where the last of them rested atop the pile of corpses. The glow of the deer's nose already fading, like a cooling campfire ember. What is your emergency? The police came, again. The same officers, although they didn't seem to recognize me. They blocked off the street while the city sent folks around to scrape the carcasses up off the pavement. My neighbors looked down with a casual but passing interest as the officers took my statement and the sanitation workers did their grisly work with snow shovels. Even the cops went about the whole affair with the same interest and enthusiasm you might expect from a DMV employee a week away from retirement. You could be forgiven for thinking that we had livestock falling off rooftops on a weekly basis in L.A. By the time they turned the hose onto the pavement and the police had left, I was exhausted and my nerves were fried. I sat down at my kitchen table and looking around at the carnage that had been wrought on my possessions, I thought about the whiskey I still had. Then my phone rang in the pocket of my jacket. I'm not embarrassed to say I jumped a little as I felt the hunk of plastic vibrate against my skin. I thought maybe it was the police calling me back for some I or T that had to be dotted or crossed. Hello? You have to tell her she's on the list. What? If she doesn't think she's on the list, she could do anything. Do you understand? Who is this? The dog. You don't know about the dog. He was inside out. Her brother had gotten an anatomy book from Harold's sister, and she just wanted to see what ruffles would look like. And then she just... It was the first time she'd ever done something like that. She tried to put him right side out again, but... When she saw how upset we were, she was so scared she'd be on the naughty list. And we went with it, and that worked. But then... My hand drifted over to the half-empty bottle of brown liquor that was still sitting out. I unscrewed the cap and poured myself as much as the tumbler could hold, as my rational mind tried to piece together what was being said to me. I lifted it to my lips, letting a thin stream slide down my throat. With a dull interest, I realized that the glass had warmed considerably in my hand already. But it was only as I tilted my head back for another gulp and it made contact with the back of my throat that I felt the liquid scald the tender flesh. I roared as I dropped the glass to the floor, blisters forming on my palm. I screamed as the pain hit, and it was only by chance or habit that I kept the phone pressed to my ear as I fled to the sink. As I turned the faucet on, praying the cool water would soothe my burns, I could hear a muffled conversation on the other side of the line. Mom's tone had shifted from strain to placating when she came back on, speaking in a voice so sweet, so forced, it bordered on saccharine. She wants to talk to you. There was a slight clatter as the phone changed hands, and a tiny female voice came on. I told you, Santa only drinks cocoa.
you see, it's not the Scrooges of the world. It's those darn children who are the real humbugs. A sentiment shared by author Charlie Davenport. I can't speak to the opinions of the cast, but I'm sure Mike Delgadio, Wafia White, Erica Sanderson, Penny Scott Andrews, Andy Cresswell, Eddie Cooper, and Danielle McRae share our feelings after performing that tale. And speaking of tales, we have come to our final one of the evening. And so, in our final tale, we meet a woman who has traveled home for the holidays. She's not in the most festive of spirits, but when old family photos are passed around, she warms to the memories of them. That is, until the photos begin to become disturbingly different each time they're viewed. Author Charlie McFarland has shared this story with us, and we are most thankful that our cast of Nicole Doolin, Sarah Thomas, Eddie Cooper, Mary Murphy, Aaron Lillis, Jesse Cornett, and Nicole Goodnight will be performing it. And so we hope your memories are steadfast and true. Or we hope at least you have someone who can tell you, watch me for the changes. Parker never really cared much for Christmas. She didn't care much for winter at all, really. The cold, dreary snow that fell, covering everything in a colorless sheet devoid of all emotion. Dead trees with empty branches waiting for the birds to come back. The way your breath was visible on the air for only a moment before quickly fading into nothingness. Her husband David's outlook wasn't so bleak. In fact, the two of them disagreed on the holiday season almost entirely. Needless to say, when it came time for the couple to make its yearly cross-country trip to Parker's mother's home, the two didn't share the same enthusiasm. David held his finger against the doorbell of Parker's childhood home, making sure not to let go until the entirety of the one-verse loop of Jingle Bells played. His teeth visible as he grinned. Parker rolled her eyes as she rocked back and forth on her heels. Her body tense as she tried to endure the cold winds and snow coming across the front porch. Almost immediately after the song finished its loop, the door swung open and a gray-haired woman with a smile so wide it made her eyes squint appeared. Her arms were wide, ready for a hug that she'd been saving for the last 11 months. Without any hesitation, David moved in and wrapped his arms around her. Oh, you're here. Merry Christmas, Angela. From within the hug, Angela's eyes made contact with Parker, who was giving her a smile with minimal effort. Hi, Mom. Hi, sweetheart. Angela gave her a hug with half the enthusiasm. The trio entered the home and Parker quickly slammed the door, as if the bitter cold was trying to walk right in behind her. After that, she pulled off her coat and woolen sock cap, which had flattened the wavy, dirty blonde hair that hung just above her shoulders. Did you hear my new doorbell? Angela clasped her hands together and smiled as her eyes darted back and forth between David and Parker, 
who were hanging up their belongings on the coat rack beside the door. Yeah, it was very... Parker paused for a moment, scanning her brain for the right word. Her eyebrows raised as she feigned enthusiasm. Festive. Angela dropped her arms to her side with a sigh. Parker shrugged. I'm a child of the summer, Mother. You know this. David held his breath for the duration of the awkward pause that followed, until Angela finally gave a small shake of her head, as if doing so got rid of all the negativity around her. She then turned and led the two of them down the hallway, which was giving a dim, warm glow from the strange Christmas lights that ran across the edges where the wall and ceiling met. The hall walls, along with the rest of the house, were covered in olive green wallpaper, though you might not have noticed it at first due to an assortment of framed photographs that hung in nearly every spot. Parker scanned over them as she walked by, until her eyes stopped on one of her and her sister Lindsay. The two of them were probably around 12 years old. They had matching yellow hair and nearly identical smiles, other than the braces that covered Parker's teeth. Beside them was a large horse, taller than the both of them, Parker put a hand over half of her face, still eyeing the photo. Oh, God, I thought you got rid of that photo. Heavens no, I love that picture. Angela turned back to examine it. David leaned in, letting out a chuckle as he spotted it. (laughs) You look good in pigtails. Oh! Angela's voice raised in excitement as she sidestepped over to another picture. You should see this one. Greg and I took the girls to the beach, and he forgot to put sunscreen on his head. (laughs) The top of his head looked like a dodgeball. I can't believe you still have that picture. I keep all of my pictures. Angela spoke over her shoulder as she walked through a doorway into the kitchen. I still have your wedding photos hanging in the dining room. God forbid I end up like Mom and can't remember my own family. I at least want to be able to see your faces again. Parker leaned against the doorway. How is Grandma? Angela pursed her lips as she opened a cabinet above the stove and pulled down a mixing bowl. She then placed it on the counter, turned to face Parker and leaned back, resting her palms against the ceramic-tiled countertop. Not much has changed. You should probably go and tell her you stopped by. Parker nodded and made her way back down the hall to a white wooden door. She took a breath, then opened the door to a darkened staircase leading upward. She tightly gripped the handrail as she ascended the stairs at a slower pace than intended. She almost didn't realize it at first, but her heart was beating faster. Talking to her grandmother had always made her feel uneasy. At the top of the stairs, she opened another door, which made way into a darkened bedroom. There was a white glow coming through a window on the far side of the room, creating just enough light to see the quilted blanket lying atop a wooden bed frame. A figure was sitting up in the bed looking out the window. It was skinny and very frail, like it had been confined there for ages. Long white hair that looked so thin a gust of wind might blow it all away sat unkempt atop her head, which was little more than a skull at this point. The woman slowly turned her attention to Parker, revealing two milky white eyes. 
a pupil barely visible behind clouds. Rebecca? No, Grandma. It's me, Parker. Oh. The old woman's eyes lowered. Her face saddened as she looked down at her old nightgown. Parker took another step deeper into the room. How are you feeling? She used to live here, you know. What? Rebecca. The old woman looked at Parker again. Margaret. Joe. All of them. Parker took another step closer to the bed. Grandma, I don't know who any of those people are. I'm sorry. The old woman looked down at the quilted bedspread and gripped it in her hands. She began to lightly shake as she let out soft cries. We all knew them. Tears began to stream down her cheeks. You know who they are. Parker moved in another step, this time close enough to place a hand on one of the posts at the foot of the bed. The old woman looked back up at her, her eyes wide, a terrified look on her face that when turned to Parker, shocked her into a momentary paralysis. Long enough for the old woman to claw her way to the edge of the bed and grab Parker by the wrist. They were all here. She gripped Parker's wrist tighter. They were your brothers and sisters. And they were all here. Within seconds of her getting a hold of her wrist, Parker jolted into motion, yanking her arm free from her grandmother's grasp and backing up so fast she practically slammed against the door. The old woman just collapsed her face into the bedspread, sobbing into the sheets. Parker's eyes began to well up with tears as she quickly spun around, opened the door, and rushed down the steps. She burst through the door at the foot of the stairs and back into the hallway, breathing deeply as tears ran down her cheeks. She shut the door behind her and leaned against it for a moment as she wiped her eyes. Her mother called from in the kitchen. Parker? Everything okay? It sounded like someone fell down the steps. I'm fine! She put a hand on her chest, listening to her heart settle back down. As she started to calm down, the sound of something falling through the mail slot caught her attention. She walked to the front door and picked up the small white card sitting on the doormat. Merry Christmas, it read in black letters against a plain white background. She flipped it over and on the back was a man, his child sitting on his shoulders, as a woman lovingly leaned against him. The two were looking into each other's eyes as they stood in a snow-covered park. Parker recognized the man's face almost immediately. Patrick Maddox, an old flame from high school 14 years earlier. She looked at the woman, obviously his wife, someone she'd never met. Then she looked at their son. A truly happy family, she concluded. The white snow background looked angelic. Too perfect. Like they were on some kind of set. Aside from a person in the background... Parker pulled the photo closer to her face to get a look at the photo bomber. They had long, skinny legs. Skinny enough that they looked as though they would never be able to support anyone's actual body weight. Their arms weren't much different. Lanky and slim. One hand gripped to a cane, probably required for them to stand. 
The other hand held a bowler hat, pressed against a chest, the fingers holding it looking like spider legs. Whether it was a man or woman was hard to decipher. The head completely hairless, lips virtually non-existent. Its mouth was partially opened, though no teeth were visible. The skin was a pale gray and appeared to be cracking. There were heavy dark circles under the eyes, which looked bloodshot and wide. It looked vaguely human, but not quite right. Parker walked back into the kitchen, dropping the Christmas card onto the kitchen table where David was sitting, mixing a bowl of brownie mix. You know, you got a Christmas card from Patrick Maddox. Parker sat down at the table. Her mother remained at the oven. Patrick who? Maddox. My old boyfriend from high school. (laughs) Boyfriend? I didn't know you had a boyfriend when you were in high school. (laughs) What? I used to bring him over all the time. Angela pulled off her oven mitts and dropped them onto the counter. Then crossed her arms and looked at Parker with a bewildered smile. Hmm. Really? A voice rang out from across the kitchen. Hey, hey, look who it is. An older man with very little hair left on his head pushed through the sliding doors, carrying two bags of groceries in each hand. Behind him walked a woman with wavy blonde hair much like Parker's. I didn't know you were getting here this early. The girl then looked over to David. Hey, David. Hey, Lindsay. David stood. Good to see you. You too, Greg. Parker hugged her sister, who had yet to even put the grocery bags down. Hey there, sugar bear. Greg dropped the groceries on the table, then hugged Parker himself. Hey, Dad. Sorry none of the food's ready. We thought your flight wasn't going to land for another few hours. Parker let go and pulled out a chair from the table for her dad, who wasted no time taking a seat. Parker, I got a new sweater that you're going to want to see. Well, let's see it. Oh, wait, wait, hang on. It's an ensemble. You have to see the ensemble. Lindsay rushed out of the room and down the hall. <laughs> She's been dying to show you that outfit since she bought it. It's a Christmas sweater. I said, what's the point of a sweater you can only wear one day? She doesn't have to only wear it on Christmas. It's good for all of December. Angela lifted the grocery bags from the table. As she did this, Greg spotted the white card on the table with the Merry Christmas face up. He picked it up. What's this? Parker says it's from her old boyfriend in high school. Greg laughed as he looked down at the card. Old boyfriend? What old boyfriend? And why is he sending us a card? Patrick Maddox! Parker was astonished at the fact that neither of her parents remembered... Greg tossed the card back onto the table. Some card. A little bland for my taste. Parker looked down at the card, then picked it back up. It was a landscape of a snow-covered park. The same exact snowy park that Patrick and his wife and child were posing in front of the first time she saw it. Only this time, no Patrick. No Patrick's wife. No Patrick's son. And the mysterious figure in the background was gone, too. Parker quickly flipped the card over, and sure enough, the words Merry Christmas were still there in their black lettering on the plain white cardstock. What the hell? Parker Ann. Her mother put her hands on her hips. 
We don't use that kind of language on the Lord's birthday. <laughs> She's a grown woman, Angie. I don't care how old she is. She shouldn't be talking like a sailor. Now go in there and get your sister. The food's going to be ready soon. Parker dropped the card back onto the table, still looking down at it for a moment before finally turning away. She found herself wondering about that odd figure she'd seen in the background of the photo and how it seemed as if it were looking directly at her. Lindsay's door was shut at the end of the hall. All right, open up and let me see. Parker gave the door three quick knocks. Hang on, I'm almost ready. Parker crossed her arms and spun around to face some of the framed photos on the wall. She saw the one with her dad's sunburned head again and quietly laughed to herself. Then she looked over and saw the one of her and her sister again in front of the horse. She stopped, took a step closer and leaned in. Her sister and her were still in frame, smiling the way she always remembered. But in the background, she saw it, under an oak tree in the distance. The same hairless figure with the long, spindly fingers. The cane. The tired eyes opened wider than should be possible, as if it were born with no eyelids, sleep-deprived and hunched, just far enough in the background that you can't quite make out all the details. She turned back to her sister's door and knocked on it again. Lindsay! Lindsay, come out here and look at this! She waited for just a beat before knocking again. Lindsay, hurry! Get out here and look! She waited another moment before realizing Lindsay wasn't responding to her. She grabbed the doorknob and turned it, opening the door slowly, afraid to know why her sister wasn't answering. When the door opened, Lindsay was nowhere to be found. In fact, the room didn't resemble Lindsay's bedroom at all. Just a storage space with several packed up boxes. Parker stood, frozen in the doorway. L- Lindsay? Suddenly, a hand came down on her shoulder, causing her to shriek as she spun around. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It's, it's just me. Parker took a few panicked breaths. What's wrong, sweetie? I, uh... I thought Lindsay was in here. Greg squinted, puzzled. Who is Lindsay? Parker blinked her eyes slowly as she watched her father, waiting for him to crack a smile or break character in some way. Lindsay. What are you talking about, sweetheart? (laughs) This isn't funny. Where is she? What happened to her room? Greg put his hands in his pockets and gave her a look of concern. Parker shook her head, then turned around and walked back into the room full of boxes. Lindsay? This really isn't funny anymore! She carefully stepped around the boxes to make her way to the closet. She pulled the door open, only to find a few more cardboard boxes taped shut. None of Lindsay's shoes or any of her belongings. No sign she'd ever even been there. Parker, are you feeling all right? She turned her head to look at him. There was a genuine look in his eyes, too convincing for it to be some kind of elaborate prank. She looked around at the boxes in the room, as if something would give her a hint as to what was happening. When that failed, she turned, pushed her way through Greg and back into the hall. She scanned the photos on the wall, looking for the picture of her and Lindsay together in front of the horse. But it wasn't there. The frame was still there with a picture of Parker, 
and her braces and pigtails, standing in front of the horse. But Lindsay was gone, along with the mysterious man under the tree in the background. She reached out and pulled the frame from the wall, staring at it in disbelief. Her lower jaw hung open ever so slightly, quivering as if she were attempting to form words but couldn't. Her father crept up behind her, looking over her shoulder down at the photograph. What? What happened to Lindsay? She turned to Greg and looked at him. His face was now fearful, worried about whatever it was that had his daughter so distraught. He reached out and put his hands on her shoulders. I think you might just be feeling a little sick from the plane ride. Let's just get you something to eat. He gently took the photo from her hands and hung it back on the wall as she watched in silence. He then walked by her, looking back for just a second before passing through the doorway into the kitchen. Parker watched as he exited the hall, then turned back to the photo. She could still remember that day. She could remember her sister's hand on her shoulder and the way she screamed the first time her dad picked her up and sat her on the horse. She even remembered posing for the picture with Lindsay right at her side. Quickly, she started inspecting the other photos. The one of her and Lindsay at the carnival was now just a photo of her alone. A photo that used to have Lindsay and her mother at church on an Easter Sunday was now just a photo of her mother. Even the picture of the family on the beach with her father's head scorched from the sun was now just a family of three. No Lindsay to be seen. Except that wasn't the only difference. Parker leaned in closer, looking at the other beachgoers around the edges of the frame. The figure was there, its eyes prominently staring directly into the camera, directly into Parker's eyes. Its mouth opened as if screaming, the skin still flaky and decayed. It felt like a pill was stuck in her throat and she was having difficulty swallowing. She looked around at the other photos, trying to spot the rotted figure anywhere else. Nothing. It was just this one photo. And it was still there, just staring. She pulled the frame down from the wall and ran to the kitchen doorway, peering at David and her mother, who were both looking back at her, baking supplies still in their hands. What? <sighs> the photo of me and mom and dad. She held the frame out to David and Angela. Your dad? <laughs> Honey, how could I have any photos of your father? I don't even know who the man is. Parker looked at her mother, then glanced frantically around the room, only to realize David and Angela were the only two there. She turned the photo back around to look at it, now just a still image of her and her mother together at the beach, minus her father. But the creature remained, still standing, stiff, decrepit, watching her through the image. Dad. Dad and Lindsay. Parker, what are you talking about? Honestly, dear, you're starting to freak me out. You're sounding just like your grandmother. Parker's eyes widened. She quickly spun around, running for the door in the middle of the hall, photos still in hand. She yanked it open and rushed to the top of the stairs, this time with no hesitation, no fear of what her grandmother would say to her just pure adrenaline as she pushed through the second door at the top. Her grandmother was still sitting upright in the bed, looking at her as she entered, her eyes still red from tears. Parker came to a hard stop at the doorway, 
breaths heavy as she held the photo to her chest. Then, step by step, she slowly approached the bed frame, her grandmother watching with wide eyes as she got closer and closer until she was close enough to sit on the edge of the bed. What happened to Lindsay? What happened to my dad? Her grandmother quizzically shook her head, unsure of what Parker was asking her. Parker closed her eyes and lowered her head. She could feel the tears spilling down her cheeks. She took a breath, attempting to compose herself, then looked back at her grandmother. What happened to Rebecca? The old woman's eyes widened in horror. Parker didn't budge. This time, Parker understood. They're gone. They're gone and I'm the only one who knows. What is this thing in the photo? Parker lifted the picture up, only for the old woman to slap it out of her hands before she could even look at it. No! She lurched back, scrambling to the other side of the bed, putting as much distance between her and the photo as she could. I don't want to see him again. Her cries once again morphed into wails as she pressed her face into her hands. Parker reached down and picked the picture up from the floor. The glass was now cracked, but behind it was even worse. Parker could see in the photo her young self standing alone on the crowded beach. No mother, no father, no sister, and no creature. She stood up and went running to the door, ignoring the old woman's cries behind her. As she barged through the door at the bottom and out into the hallway, she broke through an old cobweb. She coughed, pulling the old webs from her face and hair, only to stop worrying about it when she saw the rest of the hallway. The photos that were earlier lining the walls were all gone. Nothing more than rotted wood paneling littered with termite damage. Gone, too, were the strange Christmas lights, replaced now with moonlight shining in through the series of broken holes in the exterior walls and the shattered window above the front door. The hallway rug that had been there since Parker was a child was torn to shreds, in some places missing entirely, in favor of creaky floorboards covered in a thick layer of dust. From the far end of the hallway, a rat came running at full speed, startling Parker as it ran by her foot, ignoring her entirely until it escaped through a crack in the floorboards. The sound of wood and plastic could be heard from the kitchen as Parker followed. She came around the doorway to see David standing at a dilapidated kitchen counter, mixing something in a plastic bowl. He turned, looked at her, and smiled. All around him, the room was in decay. Water was dripping from the ceiling onto the kitchen table, spilling over onto the broken tiled floor. The table was warped from the water damage and seemed seconds from collapsing. The counters were caked in dust, along with the stove and fridge, which clearly weren't functional in any way. The wind from outside could be heard throughout the room, and the house creaked each time it blew. Food's almost ready. Parker watched him as he continued stirring without a care in the world. David, where is everyone? He placed the bowl down on top of the worn kitchen counter, causing a few roaches to scatter away as he did so. He looked at Parker with the same confused look she'd received many times that night. 
He walked over to her, kicking up dust from the floor as he did. What do you mean? He smiled. It's just us. Same as every year. David, why would we come to this house every year for Christmas if it was just you and me? David opened his mouth, prepared to speak, then stopped, as if he suddenly was unsure of what he was supposed to say. Then a smile reappeared on his face. I guess I've never really thought about it before. (laughs) Just a tradition, I suppose. Parker carefully stepped over the puddle of dirty water forming along the floor, inching her way forward to David. This is my parents' house. She reached out and put her hand on his wrist. My family lives here. Remember? Angela? Greg? Lindsay? David shook his head as he gently pulled his arm away from Parker. He reached up to open the cabinet, the paint of which had chipped away to reveal the cheap wood underneath, pulling out a couple of old dishes. Baby, you're not making any sense right now. He walked around Parker to pull some old rusted silverware from a drawer beside her, then stacked it atop the plates. He took the dishes with him as he walked out of the kitchen into the dining room. Parker followed behind him. The dining room, much like the rest of the house, looked to be falling apart. The table was chipping and some of the chairs were broken. The walls looked to have been white at one point, but were now a dingy brown from water damage and age. The room would have been nearly unrecognizable to her if it weren't for the one photo that still hung in a frame on the wall. Harker held her breath hesitantly approaching it. She could hardly see anything else in the room around her. It was all drowned out. Tunnel vision led her directly to the picture on the wall until it was directly in her face. Her in a white wedding gown. Veil lifted over her head to show her diamond earrings as she kissed David. Her eyes shut, his eyes shut. They were directly in the center of the frame. Just over David's shoulder just as Parker expected, was the figure. Cheeks sunken and sallow, dark heavy bags under its eyes, wide and bloodshot. The mouth opened, smiling a sinister grin, looking directly at the camera. She turned around to look at David, who finished setting the plates, and was about to walk through the door back to the kitchen. Don't leave! Relax. I'll be right back. He disappeared through the doorway. Parker raced after him, rushing through the doorway to catch him before he was gone. But she was already too late. Once she was in the kitchen, it was already empty. She then ran to the hallway, rushing from one end to the other, stopping to check what was once Lindsay's room. By the time she made her way back to the kitchen, she was already in sobs. She went back into the dining room where the photo had hung. Now nothing more than an empty frame. After that, she climbed to the top of the stairs and opened the bedroom door. Her grandmother was in the bed, sitting upright against the headboard. She craned her head to look at Parker, whose eyes were red, cheeks tear-stained, looking emotionally exhausted. Rebecca? No. She's still gone. Her grandmother watched her as she walked across the room to the windowsill and sat, looking out at the falling snow. She gripped the ridge of the window pane and lifted it, causing a small pile of snow to fall inside around her. The chilly winds made their way into the room, 
and Parker could feel the bitterness of the cold. Within moments, she could see her breath in front of her face as she exhaled, visible only for an instance, before fading into nothingness. friends, the fire dwindles to embers as the wind continues its relentless howl. It's time for us to release you into the Christmas night. No matter what you choose to celebrate this time of year, whether you find yourself with loved ones or in solitude, we, the entire No Sleep Podcast team, wish you all the very best of the season. Please stay safe out there and try to find some joy in your heart. It's what we all need now, most of all.